Action Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. Today, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Josh Axe. He is a clinical nutritionist with a passion to help people eat healthy and live a healthy lifestyle. Dr. Axe founded the website DrAxe.com, which is one of the top natural health websites in the world. And he has a new book coming out called Ancient Remedies, Secrets to Healing with Herbs, Essential Oils, CBD, and the Most Powerful Natural Medicine in History. You can find him on Instagram at Dr. Josh Axe. That's Axe with an E, by the way. Dr. Josh Axe, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Hey, Ethan. Thanks for having me. How are you, man? Hey, fantastic. Just here in Nashville, Tennessee, and enjoying a little little sun today, so it's, uh, it's a good day. Yeah, I, th- I thought of you, actually. There was an explosion in Nashville recently, and my instinct was to call or send an email to every single person I know in Nashville, and I know a few people out there, and my wife was like, stop, leave them alone. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was kind of crazy. We uh, we were actually in Florida at the time. I have family down there, and we were uh, just celebrating some of the holidays, but yeah, it was just, you know, crazy. But hey, thanks for thinking of me. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I feel like you have been ahead on a number of things, and, and when I think about you, there are a few different things I want to talk about, but I want to talk first about keto and what brought you to that. Also, when I look at, when I think about keto, I think, you know, it's almost, and I think it's a function of how diets have have become these kind of schisms and these factions of like what team you're on. Yep. And so now, especially this month or the beginning of the year, it's like, well, keto people are only eating meat, which mm-hmm. is not, that's not what keto is about. And w- when I look at the list of like veggies that you talk about, I'm like, oh yeah, I love all of those things. And then I think about other kind of factions, which kind of want to say that a lot of that stuff is bad for you. So I just want to know how you came to all of this. Yeah. So for me, I I actually stumbled upon the keto diet. And by the way, I want to preframe and say, I don't think an exact keto diet is right for everybody at all. In fact, I think most of the time keto is more like a, a cleanse and there are other ways to get into ketosis, such as such as fasting. But all that being said, I um, I stumbled across keto because I had a health crisis in my family. Just to go back a little bit, I had growing up, my family was always into fitness. So my dad was actually a weightlifter and a summer pro water skier. My mom was a swim instructor and a PE teacher. And so growing up, we were always very active, but we knew nothing about nutrition or diet. And at 40 years old, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, which was shocking to us because if you would have looked at my mom at 40, you would have thought, hey, this woman is super fit. You would have thought she was healthy, but she was diagnosed with cancer. And my family lived in what I'll kind of call that medical model. Like anytime we were sick, we went to our doctors, we got prescribed a drug, and we did not, we did not know there was another way. So my mom went and had a mastectomy. She went through rounds and rounds and rounds of chemotherapy. In fact, Ethan, I still remember this day looking at my mom and seeing her hair fall out, thinking she had aged 20 years in two weeks and just saying, I never want to see anyone have to go through that again. And praise God, she went through it and was eventually diagnosed as being cancer-free and healthy. The crazy thing was though, after all of those treatments, she seemed like she was you know, more ill than ever before. She got put on antidepressant medications, anti-anxiety medications, a lot of other medications for issues related to her thyroid, chronic fatigue syndrome, digestive issues, hormone imbalance. And and part of my memory of my mom growing up was she was sick and tired all the time. And this went on for 13 years or so. And at that point, I was actually studying to become a doctor. And I was about to go and open up my own clinic. I was a little less than a year away from graduation. And my mom calls me on the phone and says, Josh, I've got bad news. I've been diagnosed with cancer again. What do I do? And I flew back to Ohio where I grew up and we sat down 
and talked about it. We felt really led to take care of her all naturally, even though she had a doctor saying, hey, we want to do more of these aggressive treatments like radiation and medications. We said, you know what, we want to take a natural route for a time and see how my mom's body responds. So with my mom, she started juicing vegetables, eating loads and loads of other vegetables, doing a little things like bone broth and wild caught fish, using supplements like turmeric and reishi mushroom and spirulina and using essential oils, just really taking care of herself, reducing stress. And we followed this holistic health program for four months, went back to her oncologist in Columbus, Ohio, did a CT scan. And the doctor called the next day and said that her exact words were, this is highly unusual. We don't typically see this, but your tumors have actually shrunk by more than half. They said, we want to, yeah, they said, we want to see you again in nine months. She went back nine months later, complete remission. And today my mom's actually in her late sixties and she's in the best shape of her life. She water skis, she runs in her late sixties. So she says she feels better in her sixties than she did her thirties. All that being said, when I was researching, cause I did thousands of hours of research on how to help my mom heal from this illness. And I started researching diets for cancer, herbs for cancer. And I came across a couple studies on a keto diet for cancer. So I read all this research. We put my mom on a diet that essentially was very keto because it was vegetables, a little bit of meat, some healthy fats. And she did have the occasional things like berries and carrots and beets, all of which have small amounts of sugar, but still enough to get her a small enough amount to where she still got the ketosis. And so for my mom, you know, one of the things she did to heal was follow this diet that essentially was borderline keto. And and then I started opening, I opened a functional medicine clinic in Nashville where I practiced for five years and I started treating patients and really focusing on a diet very similar to what I treated my mom with, but taking care of people who needed to lose weight and wanted to overcome issues like diabetes and autoimmune disease and immune issues and just saw incredible results because the diet that I lay out, and it's really not as much a keto diet, it's really more a diet for healing. You know, it's a diet full of real foods and really focusing on vegetables as that main and then building and then doing a little bit of wild organic meat, some healthy fats and things around those vegetables. I notice like I haven't been in ketosis for a while, but I I do notice that the day that I don't feel the best, and and I think there are multiple reasons for this, but the day of the week that I tend to like look forward to the least is Sunday. That's my rest day typically. And, And on that day, I continue eating, but I do up my fats and lower my carbs just because that's the way I'm doing my diet right now. But I, I, I always wonder if, you know, the, the carbs that I'm eating that are fast acting and I'm not eating like refined sugar or anything like that because I feel almost immediately like crap when I eat that stuff. But if, if I'm eating that and going to the gym and using it in that way, I, I just, I think I'm okay. But then on the days when I'm not using it and if I, I'm not really in a, a caloric surplus at any point, but I don't feel good when I eat rocket fuel and I don't behave like a rocket, if, the, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think there's yeah. like to what you're talking about healing, when we look at the way we as Americans kind of exist now, every time we try to solve something, we're not always aware of the unintended, unintended consequences. And so you look at like, back to the great depression and then coming right on the heels of that, the beginning of the subsidization of, of food in America. And then, you know, suddenly you have a situation where poor people today are obese. So that's the first time in history that we've seen that and all the, the, the little side effects and you take a drug to cure one thing and suddenly you have four other ailments i I really do appreciate what you're doing with you know at least looking at food to heal you well well, yeah ethan you know one of the things and, and for me you know i because when you take care of you know like like for myself and i no longer run my clinic now i really i run a supplement company and i also work with uh you know creating online just educating people on the truth about nutrition but you know, I think for me, like I didn't try and take a shortcut with what, you know, when your mom's life's on the line, it's like, okay, or your own, you're saying, okay, what do I got to do to where I want my mom 
you know, at the time she was in her, you know, 50s when I was caring for her, her early 50s. And I'm saying, I want my mom around with my grandkids. I want her in her 80s, bringing them to Disney World. And so what do I got to do right now to set her up in that manner to where she is healthy and healed later on in life? See, the, the conventional medical system doesn't think like that. It's how do we get rid of this single symptom? That's really, it's really not treating the whole person, getting them healthier. It's how do you change a symptom? One of the things, actually, I, I just, I, I wrote a new book and it's called Ancient Remedies. And one of the things I talk about in this book is that a lot of people don't realize is there's not a single medication that doesn't have a major side effect, specifically in uh, medications actually pull nutrients out of your body. So for instance, we all know antibiotic drugs not only kill the bad bacteria, but they kill the good bacteria in your gut. The good bacteria in our gut is a massive part of our immune system. So if anybody takes a prescription antibiotic, they actually are harming their immune system long-term, increasing the risk of cancer and autoimmune disease. But if right after that, let's say they take a lot of probiotics, eat probiotic-rich foods, take a probiotic supplement, they're actually able to replenish and help themselves. But I have a list here. This is off a major medical website. Um, similar to like WebMD and Mayo Clinic, according to those sites, if you take a prescription antibiotic drug, you're depleting your body of folate, vitamin B1, B2, B3, B6, B12, calcium, magnesium, potassium, zinc, and probiotics. So, and it's the true with almost every medication. If you take a diabetes drug, it pulls coenzyme Q10 from your body, increasing your risk of heart disease. Now, I, by the way, I don't want to say this to scare anybody. My, my whole point here is this, is that today we have diet, we have herbs like turmeric and ginger. We have supplements like magnesium and fish oil and CBD oil. We have all of these natural things we can take to help heal ourselves without the side effects. But unfortunately, our big government, like that system today that set that up, is not, it's not helping the people that need it the most, which of course is, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah, the drug that instantly leaps to mind as an example of this is a statin mm -hmm. which you know they talk about how statins will save a lot of lives like antibiotics saved a lot of lives and now statins are this this huge breakthrough to uh, maybe not even save lives but prolong life right but they basically shut your liver down <laughs> they, they, they do and here's the thing like I'll, I'll give you an example i had a patient come in his name was ron and he was on a statin drug exactly like you're sharing with me. But his hair was thinning. His liver was – his liver uh, blood, blood tests were off, basically showing his liver was degenerating and his muscles were wasting. And that it was causing something called rhabdomyolysis. And so th that was the side effect of taking that drug versus so, – so, and I'm not saying that, hey, it might not have slightly decreased, decreased his risk of a heart attack. But what I can tell you is if the doctor instead would have said, hey, Ron – because this is what I did. I said, Ron, let's look at your diet. I'm going to put you on a diet to reduce inflammation. Okay, we're going to get more omega-3s in here. I'm going to have you eat some walnuts and get more antioxidants. So I'm going to have you do some blueberries and pomegranate for breakfast. And, and I'm going to have you take a fish oil supplement in this. And everything reversed, everything healed. So, so I'm with you. I do think medications in certain circumstances can help prolong. But as you're saying, the thing is, there, there's, there's a better alternative. Yeah, well, I just think... Uh I totally agree with you. I, I just think we have lost sight a little bit of nuance. And I think we have become like something is either healthy or unhealthy. Something is either life-saving or harmful. And, and it's like, you know, I guess, yeah, cyanide will kill you. I don't know if there are any benefits to it. I guess if you are really, really sick with like meningitis or, or bacterial meningitis or something like that. Yes, please take antibiotics. But I think, you know, I have a ton of friends yep. who every time they go on a trip out of town, they get prescribed a Z-Pack just in case. And it's like, you're, you're taking that for a headache or, or you know, a hangover. You, you, or you, you, you don't even have any idea what is wrong with you. You're just carrying around antibiotics in case and it's yeah. like those are those are to to fight bacteria that's going to kill you that's not something it's not you know an advil yeah yeah i mean you're 100% right it's it's not and again as as i cover in my my book it's like there's not a single medication that's not pulling a nutrient from your body for instance a lot of these pull zinc a lot of these medications today zinc is the primary mineral 
that supports your immune system and your gut healing and your body recovering. And so if you're deficient in zinc from taking medication, your body now can't recover. Your immune system is weakened. You have a better chance of coming down with viruses. So anyways, it's. Yeah. And, and I want to say as a disclaimer, and you said this too, I am not anti drugs. I take, I take, you know, non narcotic drugs whenever I need to, you know, I'm not, I'm not making a stance like I'm anti pharmaceuticals. I think that they're, you know, there is a point where we look at something and we go, well, this is uh, more beneficial than it is harmful. And we ignore the harm that it's doing, you know, like the, the advent of antibiotics is a good thing in my opinion, but like everything you're talking about, this is not part and parcel with antibiotics. Like, Hey, when you take these, you are also damaging some of the ecosystem of your body and you got to fix it. And here's how, you know? Yep. And that, that, that is so much with a lot of the way we exist now. You know, uh, if a, if a normal healthy diet is 2000 calories a day and we're feeding people 4,000 calories a day and encouraging them to drink ultra big gulps with, every meal. It's like, well, okay, we got to actually use our bodies more to make up for that. But in fact, we're going to use them less. Yeah, exactly. So ancient remedies, it's called. Yeah. Ancient remedies, ancient remedies. And that all grew out of your work with your mom. It did. Yeah. It's essentially a plan for overcoming, you know, a number of health issues, but if somebody has a chronic health condition, it's really a book on that teaches people how to get to the root cause of disease and heal their body using diet, lifestyle, you know, hacks, uh, exercise, essential oils, herbs, that sort of thing, supplements to get healthy. And uh, yeah, people can find it on amazon.com, just search Dr. X ancient remedies and it's in there. But yeah, I, I you know, I, I love teaching people how to use food as medicine, you know, because again, this is what saved my mom's life. And then I've used it with thousands of patients, seeing them overcome everything from reversing type two diabetes to, overcoming hormonal issues like low testosterone or a number of things. And so all of that, I cover, you know, how to heal a lot of that stuff in the, uh, in the book. Yeah. My, my wife had a bad RA marker in a blood test and was told basically like, look, if we get this tested again and the RA marker goes up at all, you're going to have to take some medication. And when she looked into the medication, it was like, I think like a mild version of chemotherapy actually in a pill. I don't know how any of that works, but it was a really, really strong drug they wanted to put her on. And she really didn't want to do that. And here I am going like, well, that's what they tell you to do. And she, she went and changed her nutrition and the RA marker disappeared basically, which was a good thing. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Can we talk about eat dirt? Let's do it. What, what is this about? Please give us the synopsis sure. on Eat Dirt. So one of the first books I published, by the way, this book is, it's a, it, it was a little while ago I published it, but I really went into, um, my, my big focus is on something that Hippocrates said 2000 years ago, and that's all disease begins in the gut and so many areas of our body. And this is you know proven medically, but the health of our brain a lot of doctors call it the gut-brain connection, but the health of your brain is really dependent a lot on your gut health, your immune system. In fact, they'll say, if you look at these researchers from Harvard, they've said 70% of your immune system lives in your gut. So your immune system is dependent upon gut health. So in this book, Eat Dirt, I really go through how important caring for your gut is, exactly how to heal your gut. And in turn, when you heal your gut, it balances your hormones, it improves your neurological function, it supports uh, your metabolism for weight loss, all of those things. But Eat Dirt, the exact title is, one of the things that we're actually missing in our diet today, in a way, is dirt. And if you see a little kid, like I have an eight-month-old right now, Ethan, and she is putting everything in her mouth. In yeah. fact, that's what she does all day. Yeah. And, and, God, and God wired her that way. She's wired that way to strengthen her immune system. Because when kids, especially even more so than adults, when they're that age, um, it actually starts uh, strengthening or or getting their immune system accustomed to the things that's going to be exposed to. So it's really it's natural immunization. Today, when people hear the word immunization, they think of like a shot you get. The truth is, we can naturally 
uh, work on supporting our immunity. There's natural ways of immunizing ourselves through exposing ourselves to things in nature. And so, you know, one of those things are called soil-based organisms, and they're a form of probiotics that actually live in our soil. When we hear probiotic today, we tend to think of a food like maybe sauerkraut or yogurt or kombucha, but there are also probiotics in our soil. So you have soil-based probiotics and food-based. So if you go to like your local farmer's market um, or even certain grocery stores, and let's say you grab a thing of carrots or beets, one of the things you'll notice on those carrots and beets is there's little brown specks on there. Those brown specks are from the soil, and what stays on there, they're kind of embedded in there. It's not just dirt. Those are actually soil-based probiotics. And medical studies show that when you actually eat the food like that, I'm not saying you don't rinse them off. So you do rinse off the food, but there's that little brown specks that are embedded as part of the carrot. Those are actually soil-based probiotics that support your body in digesting that food. So all of our ancient ancestors, Ethan, they ate you know, local produce from their own gardens regionally. Now, today, it's like in America, like we have over half of our produce shipped in from, um, you know, uh, Mexico and China and other countries, and they're sprayed with uh, chlorine and other chemicals to preserve them and actually kill off these things. But all that being said, these probiotics strengthen our immune system. Also, people may have heard of the benefits of raw honey for allergies. Well, how does that work? And they always say local honey. Like, why is the local part important? Well, when you have a local honey, local honeybees are known in their honey to have a lot of pollen and pollen from that region. Actually, honey has over 200 different types of microbes and probiotics and all these different things. So when you consume local honey, it works as a natural immunization. You're exposing yourself to pollen and things in the air and all of these things. And then honey, actually, the way it's, it's created is to actually then work with your immune system to strengthen your immune system over time and help your body lessen seasonal allergies. And so all that being said, in the book, I really go through how to strengthen your immune system, how to heal a condition, leaky gut. And one of those remedies is to eat local foods, wash them off, but they have a little bit of the dirt on them, essentially still. I mean, you know, those brown specks. So you do that, you eat raw local honey. In fact, there's another thing I talk about in the book, and that's having a pet. There are multiple studies showing if you have a dog or cat, you're going to strengthen your immune system over time, or if you live on a farm. Reason being is you're getting these good exposures from, from your environment, and that's working to strengthen our immune system. Because today we live in this in an over-sanitized society. I know even more now than ever, everyone's using all this hand sanitizer, but just know you can over-sanitize. Using all of these antibacterial hand soaps and everything else, you're killing good bacteria as well, not just bad. And so I think it's important to remember it's all about balance. Yes, I wash my hands, you know, but I wash them with like essential oils and things that don't, that aren't really harsh, things that are going to preserve the good bacteria on my body as well. So anyways, I cover a lot of, a lot of stuff there in that, uh, that older book I published, Eat Dirt. Yeah. I think that's fascinating, especially when you look at, like you're saying, how, how clean we are and how we've we've killed off the majority of of um parasites and bacteria and yep. and if you go to like third world countries where they haven't done that there's a very low instance of autoimmune disease so i and you know this yep. is not this is not like a scientific fact like you know i but there have been some some interesting theories that i've read about this that we have gone so clean that our immune systems don't have anything left to attack, and so they attack us. And in, in the yep. same way as what you're talking about, that the, the little bits of exposure is like an inoculation to a bigger problem. And, and I think that that could play a part in many of the things we see today where people are knocked on their butts by something that, you know, we, we then insist upon everybody taking a small bit of it right and everybody needs to have some exposure and yeah if we just maybe <laughs> weren't quite as clean or as sterile as we had to be but also look at the really really sterile places like hospitals and you get superbugs and and MRSA yeah. and these these gnarly things that they have real trouble battling because 
the bugs are the, the bugs natural habitat and their ability to infect us we keep fighting and getting better but so do they yeah exactly and that's because these super bugs keep growing because we've killed off the ones that actually keep them at bay i mean that's the thing when you talk about uh, bacteria and viruses and parasites and fungi and all these different microorganisms they help keep each other in check if you go and do something where you try and kill everything off then you're allowing some of the strong the ones that are stronger to then thrive and because they're not held in check anymore so anyways it's kind of a, it, it can be it is into a degree can be a complicated science but at the same time i think one of the things that we've lost in our healthcare system today is you is using common sense you know today as you're saying it's like everybody just do this and it's like we're all unique individuals we got to consider that too but it's yeah you know so uh, we got to be careful to to both be be sanitary but also not not over sanitize yeah yeah that's that's a that's a wild way to think about it okay and now since it's early on in the year and a lot of people are making resolutions i know you're big on goals i would love to talk to you yeah. about how you structure goals and how you use them um because i think that will be really helpful to people who have set resolutions for themselves yeah, so I, I do, Ethan, I love setting goals. I love working with patients on helping them set goals. And and my team I work with today, because for me, it's been so important for me to be able to, you know, have success in my own health and my life. Goals have been a big part of that. And by the way, I could notice pretty early on, you know, when I took care of patients, I could tell pretty early on who was going to succeed in their health goals and who wasn't. The people who kind of were a little bit more aimless about it or just focused on, oh, I can't have this anymore. They had a really t hard time healing versus two things I noticed about those people who saw good results and who were healthy and happy later on. One, they were goal setters. I mean, they really, they, they, they wanted to get better. They said, hey, uh, you know, like I want to run a 5K or I want to lose 20 pounds, right? And, and they had something specific they were looking to do. And the other thing is they just had a good attitude about it. They didn't focus on all the things they couldn't have they started focusing on, like, if I were, were to say, hey, hey, let's stop doing all of the, you know, bread and bacon in the morning, you know, somebody could complain about that, or they could say, oh, but Dr. Ox did say, hey, eat this berry smoothie, and wow, this is like having a milkshake for breakfast, this is delicious, you know, so, so I think it's important to set goals and have the proper attitude and mindset to, uh, towards achieving those goals. So what I do is I tend to start with the end in mind and think, okay, what I want, what do I want my life to look like? What would really make me happy? And and also think about even my purpose in life, like what am I called to do? And I know that everybody on here probably has a very different spiritual and religious perspective. But for me, like I believe I'm called to love God, love people, and make earth more like heaven, like make it a great place to be, bless other people. So for me, knowing I'm called to do those things, like I I, I really then I set my goals and I have different goals. I have goals spiritually. Uh, my physical health, my career, my relationships. So I, I, I set out five different categories of goals. And then what I do is, uh, let's use health, for example. Let's say I want to go out and run a 5K, okay? If I want to run a 5K, I write down the exact race. I'll say, hey, I want to run a, run a race at Thanksgiving next year and do that with my family. It'll be a fun thing to do Thanksgiving morning. And I'll write that down I'll, and I'll write down the time I want to achieve. And then I say, okay, in order to do that, what strategy do I need to have in place? And so I'll write down, I'm going to start running three days a week, one long run, one short run, and one fast run. And, and here's my plan, you know? And so, and I think you could do the same thing for your diet. Let's say the goal is to lose 20 pounds in, you know, two months or something like that. You know, try and lose 10 pounds a month over two months. And then you just write down, hey, here's what I'm going to eat for breakfast, lunch, dinner. I'm going to try and work out three days a week for 30 minutes. You're going to actually go ahead and put that in your schedule ahead of time and decide what you're going to do now. And so you just have a plan. So for me, like I love setting goals. I think it's fun to achieve goals. And I think when you hit a goal, celebrate, you know, do something fun, share it with your, you know, your family or an accountability partner or somebody who is, you know, you can celebrate with afterwards. So anyways, that's sort of my, my mindset for goal setting. Yeah, I love it. And it, and it sounds very much like you're, you're, it's, it's all being positively reinforced. Uh, absolutely. Like to me, there's no, listen, I, I think we have way too much guilt and shame in the world today. 
And for me, it's a hundred percent positive reinforcement. Like if I fall, here's the other thing. Like I miss days. Sometimes I'll, I'll, you know what? I ate too much of this or I didn't do this or I missed my workout today. I have no, my entire mindset's always like, you know what? That's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show up tomorrow or I'm going to, yeah, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to show up tomorrow. I'm going to do better tomorrow and keep moving forward. Yeah. I really, really appreciate that. And this, this feels like a, maybe a diversion, but I would love to talk to you about it because you're so positive and, and I think you have great ideas on this, but the, did you see the the cosmopolitan cover with the with the heavy set gals that says this is healthy? Did you see that? No, I did not. But I, I believe you because this is d- d- definitely something that I've I've seen other people do to to a degree. Yeah. So I, I saw this this cover and look, I I imagine if they had a thin person standing there holding a cigarette and it said this is healthy then all of our attention would go to the cigarette and we would go are they saying cigarettes are healthy now that said the images i saw of these gals one of them was doing a like a a wild yoga pose i think she's holding her toes above her head i can't do that she looks she looks extremely happy she looks very active and so i go is the stigma of unhealthy actually possibly a hindrance to having the positive mind frame it takes to achieve a goal or does the guilt associated with the constant reinforcement of this state you're in is unhealthy what are your thoughts on that well you know first off even you know hearing about that cover the the thing is i want to yeah, I want to bring it back to a couple of things. One, science and just thinking with common sense, you know, nat- naturally. So one, the science absolutely shows if you have a lot of visceral body fat, that's body fat that surrounds your organs, it is detrimental to those organs. And we're talking about a really serious increase in heart disease and cancer and diabetes and inflammatory diseases, all, everything almost. And so we know that is that healthy? Well, no, it's it's definitely not healthy, you know. So, so to put it on a cover, essentially, it's 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 saying this is a lie, you know. So, anyways, that that magazine is lying, you know. Outside of that, you know, so healthy. If we're talking about from medical science standpoint, absolutely not. Now, is someone's mindset healthy? The fact that they can be happy with their body, the body that you know they they were born with, you know, is it good for them to? have proper self-value, self-esteem, self-love? Absolutely. So, you know, I do think that if we're talking about mental, and this is something that is not focused enough on in medicine today. If you look at the ancients, whether it's Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine, or Greek medicine with Hippocrates, they really talked about how your emotions affect your physical health. In fact, self-value is one of the two key cornerstones of our identity along with security. But again, self-identity, self-worth, you know, how you value yourself, that's a really that's a huge component of health. And so if you have somebody who's skinny and they see themselves with guilt and shame and all of those things, that actually is just as unhealthy or more unhealthy than somebody who's overweight, but they value themselves. So anyways, Nothing too philosophical. No, but I, no, like, but I love what this is. The point. This, I think, I think you're dead right. I think there, there. That's got to be taken into consideration too. Yeah. So, so again, I, I do think if you're saying in that magazine cover, and they and they clarify it in the article. Listen, we're not saying that having visceral fat, body fat, is healthy. We're saying, look at this woman. She loves herself. She loves her body. Look how she can move. Look at her flexibility and mobility and stability and her balance and these things that are also a key component of health, then yeah, I can get behind that. But I, I, do, I do think that, again, if we're talking about true health, you know, if you go open a dictionary today, everyone will see the definition is being whole in body, mind, and spirit. And so if we're talking about, it's not just your body, it's your mind, it's your spirit, those things are important. So anyways, I'm with you, Ethan. I do think that, I do think it is, it's not true that if we're talking from a physical standpoint, somebody's got a lot of body fat. We just know the science. There's not a single study that shows that's that's true. And and I will say this though, you know, everybody does have different body types. I mean, this is true in Chinese medicine. They'll say, okay, somebody who's six foot tall, one person could be 200 pounds or 
220. I mean, you look at a linebacker that's 225 pounds and really that's a great way for them. And some people, it might be 160. So, you know, I think it could be, it, it can be a pretty big range there in terms of somebody's body weight um, if they're healthy, you, you know? So I, so I, anyways, that being said, I think it's obviously it's a moving target and there are different body types, but I do think if somebody has a lot of loose fat, it's, it's again, that visceral fat. That's, that's what yeah. I, I think that, much like some of the other things we talked about, I just think it's we've gotten into good and bad, and you know, like I think there's got there's got to be nuance, and and really, I only th- say that because of the aspect that you're talking about with with the spiritual, and mental, and you know. Yep. And if you want to get really hard science about it, you look at like placebo effect. What does what somebody mm. thinks is true? How does that have an effect on them? You can show a ton of sugar pills curing diseases based on what the person thinks they're ingesting. That's yeah. like hard mm-hmm. science. And and so you know, I would love to see people really go into that world a little bit more and do some studying just because of like, well, if, if the mind is having a real direct effect on the body, what else can we do with it? And I just don't know. I think for me, the, the place where I was able to finally tackle the issues I had with my body, it took basically me being able to see myself through my wife's eyes and she had no, no consideration. Mm. She was seeing me as a human being. And, and then I was able to see myself as a human being and not just a a, a lump of problems. And so I, I, you know, it really helped in my ability to achieve the goals I set was the way I was thinking about myself or the, the way I felt about myself and, and the, the, the positive reinforcement versus I'm, you know, I'm a piece of crap and, you know, and, and then I'm sure there are some people who can, who can work towards something because of adversity. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I want to mention one thing that is just so good about what you said and, and, it, and the way that we look at this with the ancients, I think the area that we have by far, done the least in terms of research is this uh how our spiritual and our and our emotional and our mental health affects our physical health if you look at ancient chinese medicine i'll give you an example of this one of the things they knew and this is absolute fact but again it just hasn't been there's not much research here is that when you experience different types of emotions that affects different organ systems so a lot of times people think ethan that Oh, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm more susceptible to breast cancer because it's in my genetics. Like my mom had it or, uh, you know, my dad had diabetes. So I'm at risk now, according to Chinese medicine, that plays very little. It's actually more different emotions affect different organ systems. I'll give you an example. If a child gets really scared at night, they'll wet the bed. Well, why is that? Why don't they have another issue? It's because the emotion of fear actually causes dysfunction of your bladder and your kidneys. And, and we know a fear puts your body in a fight or flight state, but that can cause you to wet the bed. If somebody has a lot of worry, worry, we, we, I've heard somebody say, oh, my stomach is like tied in knots. We know that the emotion of worry affects your upper digestive system, your stomach and your pancreas. The emotion of fear affects your adrenal gland to put your body in a fight or flight state. Think if somebody has a lot of anxiety, their blood pressure rises, right? Anger affects the liver. We know that grief, like not letting go of things of the past, that affects your lungs and colon and your immune system. So what really causes disease in most people, the root cause of it is not, diet's like 50%. The other 50% is really the emotions you experience. And so this is known in Chinese medicine too. Like why does a woman get breast cancer? Or sometimes it's male, just far less common. But why would a woman get a breast cancer on her left breast and not her right or her right and not her left? Here's the reason why it has to do with something called yin and yang in Chinese medicine. By the way, when I first heard those words, I thought, well, those are kind of out there. I just realized it's a different language. Yin and yang are kind of like, you know, what estrogen is to testosterone or it's this like cortisol to melatonin. There's these balances in the body. Well, the left side of your body is all about 
it, it's yang. It's all about giving. So somebody that develops left-sided breast cancer, they're going to develop it because like my mom had breast cancer on her left side and br the breasts in, uh, you know, throughout history have been seen as two things. One is nourishing a child. The other is, a, you know, as a sexual organ. Okay. So those are kind of two, two things that's been seen as the left side is that nourishing part. So if somebody gives and loves others and cares for others, but they never care for themselves. They just give and they give and they give and they give and they have nothing left. That's the root cause of left-sided breast cancer. Right-sided is somebody is not in touch with their feminine side or their sexual side. So, so that's the root cause of right side. Anyways, not to get too far off here, but that, that my whole point here is, is that there's stuff like this people do not know. The Everybody in ancient medicine, when, they, when you had a physician and they had a patient come in, they treated everybody like a unique individual. If I had somebody, and when I ran my practice, it was the same. I had somebody come in with hypothyroidism. As an example, I would sit down with them. I would learn everything I could about them. I would hear about their family history. I'd ask them the emotions they were experiencing. And I would create a custom plan and say, you know what? I can notice you've got a lot of fear in your life. Let's combat that fear by building your faith and hope. Hey, here's some exercises. Here's some mindset things you can do. And hey, here's your diet. Here's your you know, I really focused on getting to the root cause of the disease. Today, somebody will go in to their doctor with hypothyroidism and they say, here's a drug like Synthroid. You're going to be on it the rest of your life. Goodbye. And that's what happens. They're actually covering up the symptom. They're never getting to the root, you know. So anyways, all that being said, I do. I'm just so with you that our emotional health is so critical. And, you know, if I have somebody coming in with inflammatory bowel disease, if they eat a bunch of gluten or dairy, It'll cause a major, they'll have major digestive symptoms. But also, if they just have a, you know, a, a stressful family, you know, week, they have almost the exact symptoms of a flare up in their inflammatory bowel disease as if they ate a bunch of gluten and dairy and got off their diet. So anyways, all these things, you know, are, are you know, affect our health. I think they must be all connected. If they weren't all connected in some way, then I don't think the placebo effect would be possible. So we can... We can actually yep. get like hard science on on this type of thing, and and I had a funny anecdote that reminds me a little bit of ancient remedies in my own way. Early on in my wife and my relationship, I would I a few times had like a little stomach bug or something, and I would drink Coke, and she would she would go, "Why the hell are you drinking Coca Cola?" for the stomach ache. And I'd go, well, that's, you know, what my mom would give me. And, and she said, really, your mom gave you Coca-Cola for a stomach ache? And I thought about it for a minute and I went, no, I guess my mom gave me ginger ale. And she said, okay, well, what made you think ginger ale was Coke? And I, and I said, well, we weren't allowed sodas. So I get a stomach ache. I'm allowed to have soda. And I think my dad liked ginger ale. So she got ginger ale. And my wife said, no, I think she got ginger ale because ginger helps and she was just getting ginger into you, and ginger helps with a stomach ache. That's right. And, I, and it, it kind of blew my mind that here I yeah. am 20 years later drinking Coca-Cola, thinking I'm helping my stomach ache, and really it all goes back to this idea of ginger settling a stomach. So I think we we arrive at things in in modern times without necessarily – understanding exactly how we got here or what led us to this and we probably do some stuff that could date back to what the ancients were talking about I, i'm really excited to read your book well well Ethan, i want to say it's so funny you bring this up because one of the i give this quick story in my book this is later on in there but i just talk about so when i was a kid and i got a cold or flu my mom gave me the same thing every time chicken yeah. noodle soup and ginger ale, right? <laughs> I mean, it was the, but 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 it's like what it's like. Where did that come from? Well, if you look in ancient Chinese medicine, the remedy for cold and flu was chicken bone broth soup, which is vegetables and chicken, and then it was actually ginger herbal tea. But you know, ginger herbal tea went to eventually people were like, well, ginger ale, you know, is is better, and then it you know became Coca Cola, <laughs> you know. But it's it's just funny how these things develop. Yeah, all the time. it's wild. It's wild. Well, Dr. Axe, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, and, and, and I love talking to you. I hope we get to do this again sometime. Well, I do too, Ethan. I want to let you know I'm a big fan of you. I love uh, man, I, I love all of, uh, of what you're teaching and doing. I told my wife, Chelsea, I was coming on, and she was excited because she's watched your movies. and she, We both have, 
over the years. And again, we're just a big fan of what you do. And I was honored. And man, we're, we're just inspired by, you know, the transformation you've seen and your, your followers, you know, the other people you've inspired. So just know, man, hey, it was a, uh, it was, it was, it was an honor. I really appreciate that, Dr. X. Thank you. Thanks, Ethan. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. And now for the Q&A. Here's a question from Brian. Brian wants to know, how did you come to terms with the fact in your own journey that you may never have a normal relationship with food? And how did that help you to move forward? Yes. Thank you. Good question. I appreciate this, Brian. You know, I've, I'm a sober person and I've been thinking of myself as abnormal for so long. I still think of myself as abnormal, but then I go like, what are all, what are all the normies? Like, what's it like to be them? And I realized that every last one of those normies has their own set of problems and issues that I don't have that I don't really want to trade them for. I definitely know a couple people. They're both girls, strangely enough. Like I remember Jamie Presley could crush a cheeseburger and not, not appear to be guilty about it. Right. And this other girl who's also blonde and perpetually thin named Sarah Foster could also crush a cheeseburger and happily eat it and not be embarrassed or feel, you know, there was no appearance of shame for eating bread or meat or cheese or mayonnaise or any of the things that go on cheeseburgers that I would feel, you know, especially eating a cheeseburger in front of people. And I would think like, God, what's it like to be them? These, these people who, first of all, girls, who girls are way more openly self-conscious about what they eat than, than dudes. And, and then they can just basically do whatever they want. I don't fucking know what problems those people have that I'm not aware of that they're dealing with every day, but I'm sure it's something. Everybody's got something. My desire 20 years ago to have some quote unquote normal relationship with food was not what I considered to be a normal relationship with food today. My idea was I want to still be able to eat to the point of euphoria slash nausea and not gain weight. That's what I want. I want to have this really unhealthy relationship with food that doesn't produce the outcome that I don't want. Well, today I don't want to eat that way because I don't like that feeling anymore. I've almost never eat to that point, but when I do, it, it doesn't feel good to me. It's not something that I enjoy. So my idea of what having a normal relationship with food is has changed. And I mean, I know lots of thin people who who are concerned with the way they eat who are who who pay attention to the foods they eat who are on some kind of an eating plan and so i also know that how specific i was with what i ate and how diligent i was with um making sure i was a hundred percent adherent to some program has is not the same as it was even two or three years ago. All of this has come through really diligent maintenance periods on my diet or, or as they're otherwise referred to as diet breaks. And, and I initially thought a diet break meant I go back to eating the way I used to. And, and that is not what it means at all. A diet break is the portion of the diet where you allow your body to recover from starving it and you eat exactly what you need to eat to not gain weight. And coming right out of a big deficit, you can probably over time bump the calories up a bit because, you know, your body's still getting over having just there's you know, if, if there is some kind of uh, metabolic adaptation during the diet where you're burning less calories than a, a person of your size would who isn't just getting off of a diet you can do like, you know, Lane Norton calls it reverse dieting, where you slowly increase your calories to the point where you gain a little weight and then you bring them back. Dr. Mike Isretel talks about this too. I've heard him talk about this. So maintenance is this period in between 
fat loss phases or cutting phases where I'm dieting with the intention of losing weight, losing fat, because it'd be much easier just to dehydrate myself and lose water. But so a fat loss phase and then a period, a nice long month or even more of what do I need to eat to maintain my body weight? And that has been the most truly magical for me thing in dieting because I I actually am learning in that period just through endless repetition what I what I should be eating and, and by what I should be eating what the amounts and the types of foods that I would eat to not gain weight but it's still part of a diet but it's called the diet break it's a very confusing thing if we think of a, a if we think of the, the two most common definitions of diet one is a, rest, a, a period of time where you're restricting what you're eating right and then the other one is just what you eat. And so if we're saying that the diet break is the period of time where you're restricting what you're eating, and for a guy like me who was, who was, whose eating was so out of control, the idea of like, well, now I'm just going back to that, that's chaos, right? But no, it's not. It's, it's just another portion. So I don't say diet break. I say maintenance period. Uh, maintenance period is I've lost this weight. Now I'm going to maintain where I am. It's just, uh, there's just as much diligence required in that as there is in a cutting portion and doing that long enough over and over again, you kind of figure out what a cup of rice looks like, what eight ounces of protein looks like, what a handful of veggies looks like how much fat you need and and you go like oh i can start to eyeball this and then i wake up one day and i'm not writing everything down on my maintenance and i'm not gaining weight and i go holy shit check me out i just had a day like a normal person now a day like a normal person is is not every time i see you know a billboard for a big mac that I'm following my urge and doing whatever I want because that got me in trouble. But I got to be honest with you, more, more and more, I want those things less and less. Thank you for the question. I hope that was helpful. If you have a question you would like me to answer, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>